listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Alboverde. Joins in my right by Graham Hall as we talk some spring football, some UF hoops, and a number of other topics. Graham, welcome back in, my friend. How's it going? Always good to be here, Zach. I say this every single week. Wouldn't want to be here discussing things with you every single... It's Wednesday now, actually. Doing yeah. this a little bit early, but yeah, always my pleasure being here with you. Well, you're getting away to St. Augustine. Well-deserved, so uh, you know, want to make sure that we get in a podcast this week. No guests today, but we definitely have a lot of topics to cover. You know, We're going to mention, I think it's been a topic of conversation throughout the spring, but really what it's like for this Florida offense now with life after the Kyle-to-Kyle connection, what that means for Florida's quarterback position, what that means for the tight end position, and just the offense as a whole, which you know Graham and I wrote a lot about this week on Gatorsports.com. We'll also get into the defensive side of the ball and kind of our expectations of where things stand right now, why the Gators could get better on defense in 2021, and then finally we'll talk some hoops and a couple other sports as well. But Graham, I think the news of the week that we need to get to, and it's kind of old news by now, but was Eric Gilbert and the former LSU tight end decommitting from Florida, a guy that I think a lot of fans were looking forward to after he announced that he intended to transfer to UF. Not so fast and not anymore because four weeks after that pledge, he's now back in the portal. And, you know, I I cautioned Florida fans on a couple of radio appearances that I made to you know, make sure the guy got to campus first. Let's see what his eligibility is for 2021 because if he made it to Gainesville, we're still going to have to apply for a waiver. But at the end of the day, there's other tight ends on this roster that are here in spring now that are working with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. I think, Graham, those are the guys that they're going to have to count on, and that was probably always going to be the case. But it's also a reminder that don't ever get your hopes up too much or put all your eggs in these transfer baskets because sometimes – there is reasons for why guys are transferring. Absolutely. You know, I think that most people think that they like to think that their school is just a more desirable location, even if it's another SEC program, but that's not always the case. I think that many people assumed that what Kyle Pitts did was so desirable for every other highly ranked former five-star tight end that maybe didn't feel that they were getting the right usage, that they were sold on the recruiting trail or told that that was what, how they were going to be used from day one getting on campus Unfortunately, that's not really the case. It looks like with Eric Gilbert, at least as it pertains to Florida. And Zach, you'd said, I think even last week here, they still have to get him on campus. That's the next thing. They were targeting May 11th. So even getting him after spring practice, you had to wait a whole period before you'd even have a chance to see him. So the focus was on the guys that they had on campus. The new guys coming in, Gage Wilcox, Nick Elksness, and the guys that we saw last year step up when Kyle Pitts wasn't available in that two-and-a-half game stretch. Keon Zipperer, I think this is his moment to shine, and they know what they have as a leader in Kamori Gamble. We spoke to him last week and why he decided to come back to Florida, and he really seems excited about his potential in this new Dan Mullen offense led by, it's looking like, Emory Jones. Although, (laughs) as you saw Dan Mullen say this week, no surprise here, he's going to use two quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're going to see that play out in in 2021 as we have in all the other years or many years, should we say, that Dan Mullen has been 
coaching quarterbacks and running offenses because this has always kind of been a staple in his system. And you know, before we get into that, I, I do want to focus on the tight ends that you mentioned that you know we heard from uh, Gamble Graham, and and obviously he's got some big shoes to fill with with Kyle Pitts moving on, and a lot of folks thought that you know a guy like Eric Gilbert, given his pedigree and what he showed at LSU, that if he was immediately eligible, that he could step in right away and and potentially you know provide that production that Pitts did but I do think that with the combination of Gamble and Zipper as well some of those young guys that they have Florida's tight ends are still going to be very actively involved in this offense are they going to make some of the incredible catches and touchdowns that Pitts did probably not but are they going to facilitate a lot of things for Florida and allow things, especially in the run game, to happen? And I think that we're going to continue to see that. Dan Mullen, as a former tight end, as a guy that's always used players at that position really well, um, that's not going to stop. Uh, I think you know we we know from hearing from Tim Brewster that he's not trying to compare these guys to Pitts or you know have them play like him but they do want him to follow the example that he set the way that he went about you know his work ethic and kind of the leadership that he showed that's the role that Gamble has to play now not only bringing Zipper along but a guy like Elksness who's already impressed through the first two weeks of practice but for Gamble uh, he described himself, Graham, as kind of a finesse player, uh, a guy that's going to make plays in the passing game. And what he feels like he's got to work on is the same thing that Pitts needed to work on, which is being more of a run blocker, being more of a complete player. According to Brewster, he's kind of shown those strides already this spring. And he did show last year that he could step up with Pitts out. Now, folks forget. I mean, they remember the Georgia game and the plays that he made there. He started four games last year after that. So it wasn't just the two games that he missed after UGA. He also started against LSU and he started against Oklahoma. So you couple Gamble's experience with all the talent that Florida has from the recruiting ranks, and there's still going to be a lot of options at tight end. I think what you saw last year, whether it's the wide receivers or the tight end position, is that this offense is going to change around the personnel. And even when they lose significant production to graduation or to the NFL draft, they're going to find ways to get their newcomers into a position to be successful, regardless of their skill set. And they've always said that that's contingent upon that player just being ready to step up when the moment comes. Be ready has been kind of the talk around here with Dan Mullen and some of the players in the last few weeks. And when we even heard from Anthony Richardson, he said that as well. But especially when it relates to Kamori Gamble, well, he was ready last year when Kyle Pitts went down. I don't think anyone expected Kyle Pitts to leave that Georgia game, arguably up into that point, Florida's biggest game of the season. And for guys like Keon Zipper, who really hadn't shown too much, but the number one ranked tight end in the 2019 class, you see that coupled with a guy like Kamari Gamble, who'd been waiting three years on the roster for his opportunity, they found ways to get both of those guys into a position to be successful without really missing a beat. And I fully expect that to be the case this year when they have a full year of spring practice, summer to actually plan the route tree around those guys. And also too, I think, you know, it's hard to expect a lot out of a true freshman, but just the buzz that we've been getting out of spring camp from Nick Elksness, it just continues. And I think that as he gets chances to play, certainly in at least four games, but also a chance to learn from Gamble and Zipper, he's only going to be set up for success in the years to come. And again, I, I don't think that you're going to see the numbers in terms of catches and, and yards maybe, but collectively that group is still going to have a big part in this offense along with the other receivers. I mean, but I think the point is, and you know, we highlighted this week on Gatorsports.com is that Florida is going to go 
towards a more run-oriented attack. You don't have Kyle Pitts. You don't have all those receivers. Although you still have still have some weapons at wide out, but the the backs that you have and the strength that you have there, and then the two quarterbacks, both of whom can run, is probably what you're going to set your offense up around. Especially when you consider the fact that they bring back the offensive linemen that they do and the seniors, and I think the Lance and, and Stuart Reese, who from what we can tell, do really well with run blocking and maybe struggle at times more so with the pass blocking. And I think with the offense maybe geared more towards that in 2021, that probably factored into their decision to come back for a six year, among other things. But, you know, it all is going to center around that quarterback spot, as we know, Graham. And regardless of whether it's Emory, regardless of whether it's Anthony Richardson, those guys behind center lined up with those backs in the backfield is what you're going to see this offense highlight. I do agree. Absolutely. You look at Anthony Richardson, a guy who came out this week and said that he really had never learned how to read defenses, and that never really gave him a chance to make much happen with his legs, audible out of a play if he could see what the defense was giving him. Now he has a chance to do that, and he really learned that last year pretty late in the process with Garrick McGee, who actually at the time was an analyst, really taught him how to read coverages, and, and now he's no longer behind, but he also understands his role yep. in, in this offense. And that is backing up Emory Jones and being able to provide him with what he needs, bouncing competition, competing, that focus level. You need a guy behind you who is pushing you, who is theoretically able to go in and perform. And, and that's what Anthony Richardson is balancing right now, a guy who is not yet ready, but may be ready if he's called upon. Yeah, and Dan Mullen made a great point this week about why he always wants to have that second and obviously third and fourth quarterback ready if he needs to is just because of his system and because it is based around the quarterback and they have a lot of run packages for their signal caller, those guys are more prone to injury. And because of that, they need to make sure that they have depth there, whereas other offenses that don't put as much on their quarterback from a running standpoint don't need to have those concerns. And I think that's why you're always going to have Dan Mullen, certainly with his established starter, but also at least one young guy that he's trying to bring along that he's always wants to get in the game, even just for a few carries so that he can get his feet wet. That's always going to be the case. And honestly, we'll probably see that early in the year with Del Rio Wilson or Kitna to a degree. Now, I think that the game and the score is going to have to present that opportunity. But Mullen said for right from the start, early in the season, we're going to play two quarterbacks. doesn't matter who the starter is, and obviously he's still leaving that door open for there to be a race. But hearing from Anthony Richardson this week, it's pretty clear that he understands that this is Emory's team. He's got to keep competing with him and pushing him, but he's not going to certainly be frustrated or surprised if he doesn't win the job. But at the same time, because of this offense and because of what they're going to put on him, even as a number two, he can't just sit back and feel like, oh, it's, this is this is Emery's time now. He's got to be ready to go as well. Absolutely. I even got a little bit of deja vu when I thought back to this point last year because we actually weren't even talking about Kyle Trask as the returning full starter of the Gators, even though what he had done in relief of Felipe Franks the year before. Dan Mullen was saying the same thing leading up to that first week of spring practice. You know, Kyle Trask, he has to go out there and win the job. Emory Jones is right there on his heels. It would absolutely make sense to go out there and say the same thing about Anthony Richardson so you can push Emory Jones to his full potential this spring, now with a full year of actually development. It's looking like knock on wood. So we're not going to expect Dan Mullen to change the message. And, And while Anthony Richardson may still have work to do, we saw him in games even 
even last season. So your point about freshman quarterbacks, Del Rio Wilson, I mean, he looks like an absolute monster already from a yeah. physical standpoint. If you look at a guy who may be ready to enter as a true freshman, I mean, that's a guy who stands out to you right away. So who would expect Dan Mullen to change his ways? Like you mentioned, a former tight end. It's Whether it's the tight end position or the quarterback position, he's going to get you in the game uh, and often more than one of you. Yeah, and so, look, I mean, the Kyle-Kyle connection and certainly that tandem of of Tony and Grimes, those guys are going to be missed, but Florida's got options not only at tight end, but they've got weapons at wide receiver and a bevy of backs. So it's just about kind of putting those pieces together and building them around those two quarterbacks, figuring out what they're going to be able to maybe dust off from those old packages with Dak Prescott or Tim Tebow. But it's going to be fun to watch this offense evolve. And I think everyone is also intrigued to see how this defense evolves in 2021. We're going to get to this first break. We'll come back on the other side and talk about what Todd Grantham had to say this week. We'll be right back after this break. Sports podcast, and now we'll shift gears to the defensive side of the ball because certainly, Graham, that is a area of concern, no doubt, after the 2020 season and what the Gators put on film. And I, I think you look at this roster, you look at what they're bringing back. There is a lot of youth, man. I mean, there's I think hope that an expectation as well that they're going to get better because as as bad as it was, it you know can't get any worse, right? But also because of spring and, and the chance to develop guys, but you know, let's not forget this is still a young defensive roster. And, you know, you look at the breakdown of it, they're going to have twice as many underclassmen on their roster in 2021 as returning upperclassmen, 28 to 14 uh, ratio right there. So they are still young, and that's why this springtime is so important. And it was just as important last year, and the fact that they missed out on it, Graham, is certainly what set them back. It at least had an effect on it. We say this all the time. The underclassmen last year never really had a chance when they got on campus to develop. They just had one week of spring practice, and the fall workouts were so inconsistent. Summer was spent so alone. This year, they're really relying on those guys that missed out, those highly rated signees. Yep. The freshmen, uh, like five stars, Derek Wingo, you look at guys like Jahari Rogers, Ethan Pouncey, guys that either missed time due to injury or just weren't really ready to play as freshmen. Those are guys that are actually going to be counted on. So while they do have a lot of youth, they have a whole lot of depth at the position as well. So I, I think that you look at the turnover that they have, a lot of guys are going to be counted on who you haven't seen a whole lot before. And, and, and it does help when you have new coaches at the position because everyone kind of is turning over a new leaf. It's a, it's a fresh slate for everyone. And you really can just focus on the analysis portion rather than who all is what year and what their recruiting ranking was. Now, obviously, spring and those guys getting that development period in, that I think is the biggest thing that folks are hinging their hopes on for why this Florida defense could be better in 2021. I don't know outside of that, Graham, where you feel like are some areas that you could point to as to why this unit w- could get better. Definitely the personnel changes, right? I mean, they're pretty much going to have the same linebacking core and the same guy at Buck, but you're going to have two new defensive tackles inside probably starting in the grad transfers and in a brand new secondary, say, for Kyrie Elam. So, I mean, you look at that and the new faces that are going to show up there, that might 
in some years give you some concern because of the youth and guys that maybe haven't gotten a lot of reps or game action, but you look at the guys that they're replacing and the production that came from that, Florida ranked 100th nationally last year in pass defense. So when you talk about them losing four starters, might not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's absolutely kind of the weird, awkward elephant in the room in a sense. It's not like they lost a C.J. Henderson last year or a guy that's really, no offense to the guy who's going to be competing in the uh, NFL Combine, a really guy who's looked at in the first couple rounds from the secondary. So that means that you may have a potential baller on your roster, and we know that they have signed five stars in recent years. There was a lot of buzz from the first week of camp about Jason Marshall, the five-star, as well as Corey Collier. If those guys are able to see the field early, it has to be more promising if you can get a freshman or a sophomore in there who's able to play it has to be much more promising to both the coaching staff and the fan base if they're able to produce at a higher rate than having an upperclassman in there last year yeah and also bringing in you know grad transfers we talk about the depth that they'll provide there but the leadership too and we heard Todd Grantham say this week that he feels like Daquan Newkirk and Antonio Shelton could have a John Grenard type impact on that group and that unit and if that's the case and they can come in there along with their experience that they have at a power five level We'll see what that can do to bolster that defensive line. I certainly think that you know they had two talented starting defensive tackles last year in Kyrie Campbell and TJ Slayton, but you didn't have Campbell early on in the season. And then you also had you know both of those guys who missed spring ball as well. So those grad transfers being here now, figuring out the system, figuring out their roles, and also kind of establishing themselves as leaders and maybe potential alpha dogs on this defense, that's going to go a long way in shaping what this unit can do. I know that you know linebacker left a lot of play to be desired. Mahmoud Diabate feels like with a year under his belt now, an opportunity to go through this spring, that he's got a chance now to kind of really step up there with Ventrell Miller. And, and that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, I mean, I think besides and beyond the personnel – it really boils down to Todd Grantham, right? I mean, you can say what you want about his scheme and how you feel about it, but there's no doubt that it has produced results in the past, right here at Florida, certainly at some of the other stops that he's had along the way. And I think that, you know, he feels certainly in his system, believes in it, you know, I think believes in what he's recruited here to do, but I think he also feels the pressure. I mean, there's no doubt that he's quote-unquote under the hot seat or feeling it from the fans and I think that that's probably going to be something that factors into how he goes into the season and just how he goes about his job. I agree you have to think that he'd be feeling the pressure after you mentioned that 107th ranked pass defense last year certainly the statistics seem to back up a lot of the frustration from the fan base as well and you look at how Florida ended the season it was defensive mistakes I think while the record-setting offense in the other side of the field was competing with Alabama less than a touchdown away from that team that ended up winning the national championship so obviously they're banking on Todd Grantham's proven success in his system and guys stepping up that really didn't have a chance to reach, I think, the next step in their progression last year. You mentioned the defensive line, the guys that they brought in. They're also banking on some players that really maybe you didn't see their best last year or really that improvement that many people were banking on. Chris Bogle, Zachary Carter as well, coming back for another year. There's a whole lot. Uh, You mentioned the defensive tackle position, Jalen Humphreys, Jalen Lee. We haven't seen Lamar Goods much. Those guys as well highly rated four-star defensive tackle signees that have not really had a chance to produce, and and that's not totally their fault. They haven't had the full year of development. So they're banking on the combination of the personnel getting that chance and Todd Grantham's proven success in bringing this unit to improvement in 2021. And, you know, one other thing that could definitely 
help this defense, there's no doubt about it, is Florida's offense. And what I mean by that is certainly last year with the passing attack and the times that they could go up and down the field in some of the games and have quick scoring drives, that without question puts your defense on the field more. And if the Gators go to more of a run-oriented attack, if they have some games where they can control the clock, well, that's going to put their defense on the field less. So that right there in and of itself could help this defense have better numbers, have better stamina during the game, and simply just have less opportunities to make less mistakes. The combination of the defense being on the field so much and the depth not being as developed where it needed to be resulted in Florida playing their starters much longer and those first string guys just and the second string guys much longer than they would have wanted to in a lot of those games. And that really, I think, led to a lot of the decline in play over the course of the game and, and increased the amount of mistakes. And, and you saw that on the field last year. So if they can get some second string guys developed as well, some underclassmen who are able to come in and get significant game action, that's going to help this defense as well. And you mentioned the offense the run-oriented attack, if they can string together some six, seven-minute drives, I mean, Zach, I can't think we can count on our one hand how many times they had a drive longer than seven minutes in 2020. There was a few 13, 14-play ones that really took a significant amount of clock out, but you didn't really see them dominate the run game where they could run the clock down late game. You're not going to see that, I think, this year when when they're able to get out there and and create in the open field with guys like Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson at quarterback and Damian Pierce as well, Naquan Wright. These are guys that are going to give you multiple options at slowing the clock down and and getting your defense some rest. And, you know, one other thing that I think doesn't have to do with the defense but could help them in 2021, yes, they need to develop this spring. Yes, their guys need to get better at tackling and all the things that are going to come from being out there on the field. I think Todd Grantham and just the job that he does as a defensive coordinator needs to step up. But beyond Florida's offense potentially running the ball more and keeping the defense off the field, I think the opponents that they face, and more specifically the opposing offenses, could have an impact on the type of season that Florida's defense can have. And what I mean by that is the quarterbacks that they're going to go against. I don't know if the guys on the 2021 schedule are going to be up to the level of the Mac Jones and the Mac Corrals and some of the other signal callers that the Gators went up against. So I think that's something to keep in mind, although it's still the SEC. I mean, they're going to face some guys that are talented in that pocket, but maybe not to the level of some of those guys from last season. If Alabama manages to have a running back, as good as Najee Harris. Again, I mean, you and I were kind of in disbelief seeing him have five touchdowns in the SEC championship game. I mean, that's just kind of bad luck, and it's what you also sign up for, though, to come to the SEC. You understand that you're going to face the best quarterback every single week. You got, you're going to face the best wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, you name it. That's why these defenses come. So I know that they're not making those excuses inside that building saying, well, we're facing so-and-so and Trey Sanders, five-star running back. We're facing this guy this week. So you, got, you guys are expected to give up 200 yards. Those excuses do not fly whatsoever. So I know that Todd Grantham is yelling at them if they give up more than 150 rushing yards again this season because that's just not the expectation in Florida. And certainly there's a whole lot of expectations uh, for those linebackers as well. You know, there's five-star linebackers that we haven't seen a lot from, like Derek Wingo and Tyron Hopper. You're expecting that unit to, yeah, have a lot of guys that are youth, but talented as well. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, we've seen the talent from Trey Mann this season, Graham. Really impressive what he's done on the basketball court as of late. And as we shift gears now to talk about this Hoops team, there's no doubt that his play 
uh, and Rupp Arena and some of these recent games have put the Gators in position now to go to the big dance. I don't think there's any question about that. And I don't think there's any question that, you know, the hype that Trey Mann had coming out of high school and where he was ranked as a recruit, it was warranted. And we're starting to see that now this season. You saw his offensive skill at the high school level, but the size doesn't really show at the high school level. Based at the college level, he's going to face guys night in and night out with seven-foot wingspans who can block his shot, put him on the court. And this is a guy who you could say was a pretty good defensive player in the high school level. He was a willing charge taker. He knew how to use his body well. He could get steals. There's so much less a defender can do as opposed to even a decade ago that it was really hard to knock him for that. But once he grew in the offseason, added that 20 pounds of muscle, grew an inch and a half, he's six foot five in shoes, that was monumental for him to be able to go back to what you saw at the high school level and really fully maximize his talent. He could use the full repertoire that he had. He could create his own shot. He could finish at the rim, runners, floaters. He can go around pick and rolls, find his man, and then apply the defense that that we've seen as of late. And it's really in this month of February, which has become so critical to players and often underclassmen like him see their play decline. He has elevated his play in February, which I think is the most critical factor and the biggest tell of why he may be ready for the next level. And whether that's leading Florida as an upperclassman next year or testing the waters once again for the NBA draft, I think that he's shown in being named SEC Player of the Week, winning at Rep Arena, averaging 20 points a game, you name it. I think he's shown that he has made a huge maturation and may be ready for the next level, Zach. Yeah, Graham mentioned that scoring average, 20 points, 10.5 rebounds, 2 assists, and 1.5 steals in Florida's wins at Auburn and at Kentucky last week. That earned him SEC Player of the Week. And Mann became the only Gator dating back to 1970 to lead the team in points and rebounds and back-to-back wins with both games on the road. So he's really been playing well as of late, and I think has put Florida in a position now where they can feel good about themselves heading into March and heading into the SEC tournament and and into the big tourney. But I think it really does start with him. And, uh, you know, that win at Rupp, regardless of the Kentucky team that we've seen this season, that's always big for this program. I mean, regardless, if you can go into Lexington and come back home with a W, you're feeling good, and it's it's part of a successful season, no doubt. Yeah, there was a point, and and you know this as well, that after what happened to Keontae Johnson, there was a point where the good feelings, they they seemed like they would never return. And this program would, maybe they would return to action, but that wasn't really the focus for everyone inside the building. And the fact that they even returned to action, and let alone have gone 13-6 and since his collapse, I think is monumental. And it's a testament to what everyone in that building has done, as well as the coaching staff, and Keontae as well, for remaining there, inside that building and and showing up every single day and working, even though he cannot compete, finding other ways to contribute to this team's success and, and be there for them has been incredible to see. I think that we'll have a free reflection after the season. And Mike White said this yesterday, that I don't think many of these guys have had a full chance to reflect on what they're doing and, and how monumental it is and, and admirable because the, there was talk, like I said, before the calendar turned to 2021 of not even returning and just calling it quits right then and focusing on them as young men and the fact that they're it's looking like right here and I guess knock on wood again NCAA tournament bound is very unlikely 
in my mind, but let's break it down. Trey Mann, it does start with him. While it's he's not the only one, Colin Castleton it was huge to this team, yep. and they have gotten Scotty Lewis going as well, along with Tyree Appleby in this dual guard system. Uh, you look at the offensive changes that they made right after that loss to Kentucky back on January 9th, their worst loss of the season, an 18.1 at home. They changed the offense around what Trey Mann does best, the pick and roll, and they ran him through Colin Castleton, and you saw it pay off. And without him being able to do that these last six weeks, they aren't in this position as well. So it's very unlikely that they're even in this spot. And as we head into the month of March, Graham, obviously this team is playing well. They've reeled off you know, a win streak. What in your mind do they still need to kind of improve on as they head into tournament action? Defensively, I think this team still has a lot more that they can work on. You know, I I was going through some of the defensive numbers, making some year-end lists, and and Florida really doesn't have many guys highly ranked in one category outside of, I think you could say, blocks. Colin Castleton is number four there in that category, but they're not a very good rebounding team. Uh, This is just a team that just not get back back well in transition. They allow their opponents to get out and run on them. They they don't really hold a a lead too well, except for uh, as of late, they've done a pretty good job of that. But defensively, when you get into tournament play, the teams that are good on the defensive end, more often than not, uh, are going to go farther. And and while Florida has done, I think, a great job um, when it comes to shifting gears with their offense and running multiple defensive sets, I, I don't think they've done one thing amazingly well on the defensive end this season. Uh, I got to say, Colin Castleton and Omar Payne being able to play together in the low post gives them a different angle in tournament play that most teams will not have. Most teams will go small, rely on the three-point shot, I, I think if they can rely on this large lineup and, and continue to run guys like Anthony DeRuji as well off the bench, even though he has been great as Golly, well. Lee, he was unbelievable. He was in flying, Lexington. right? It's incredible. He, you know, we saw glimpses of that in his highlight film when he signed here out of LA Tech as a transfer, but he had not seen that due to a variety of things. He battled with COVID nineteen before the season, and he discussed about losing his conditioning and win. And now you're seeing that uh, back and and what that means for this Florida offense. And if they can get all things in gear, in motion, heading into tournament play, I think this is a team that has a very high ceiling, which just sounds incredible to say, knowing that they lost the SEC's preseason of player of the year in their fourth game of the season. Absolutely. And two more teams that have high ceilings, no doubt this season, are the Florida baseball and softball teams. They'll be back in action this weekend against two teams from the state capitol. Obviously, uh, the Gators hosting FAMU uh, for baseball and then the softball team having uh, games against the Florida State Seminoles in Gainesville and in Tallahassee as well. So recap how those games go when we get back to you guys next week. The baseball team has certainly done a good job bouncing back from that series loss to Miami, sweeping Sanford. Pretty exciting games over the weekend. It kind of something stood out from each one, and and obviously the softball team is is continuing to play really well as well. So uh, trying to I guess keep up with the basketball team and, and all the you know good things that are happening right now in Gainesville as we continue to monitor practice and watch those Instagram live feeds uh, as I know you guys are as well. So we'll be back next week to discuss all those things for Graham Hall. I'm Zach Albaverde.